The title of our sermon this morning is uh, Plans, Pleasures, and Purpose in Christ. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, studying specifically verses 9 and 10. But we're going to review, kind of read, reread, and kind of re-review verses 7 and 8 as well as we, as we get into the scope of verses 9 and 10 today. I will be reading and teaching primarily from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB translation. So let's get right into the text, Ephesians chapter 1, um, starting in verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Here's our text for today. For He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. Church, this is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and praise You for Your incredible love. God, You are holy and You are set apart. And this morning as we enter into Your presence, we're reminded of our need for Your Holy Spirit. We're reminded of our need of Your leadership in our life, God. We pray that You would lead us into your word, that you would teach us your word, that you would move us and impress upon us and change us and mature us. God, we want to grow. Thank you, Lord, that you've made us your children in Christ. Help us now to respond to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we've been examining these first few verses um, in Ephesians chapter 1, we've uncovered a few pretty significant truths. We've uncovered an incredible description of God as our loving Father, and we've uncovered an incredible revelation of our identity as God's well-loved children, as, as we're calling it in this series, as God's kingdom kids. And the Apostle Paul has explained that God has chosen us. This is something that God did before the foundations of the earth. And so we have not set ourselves up or put ourselves in a beneficial position so that God might uh, choose us over someone else. This is something that God did on his own before he even created the earth. And so we are chosen by God in Christ. God's choice of us was unmerited. We didn't earn it, We didn't deserve to be chosen. God chose a hopeless people. We had no basis for hope in and of ourselves or in and of our situation. We we were a hopeless people. God chose us for adoption. He, He chose us with a purpose. He chose us very specifically for adoption as sons and daughters. So we are now part of his immediate family. In other words, there's no aspect or sect within Christianity. It's like, well, these are the kids, these are the beloved children of God, and these are sort of the ones like the black sheep of the family. There's not, you, you don't see that in biblical Christianity. We don't see that within God's choosing. He chooses us as children. Last week, we saw that God frees us, forgives us, And he fully forms us, those who he has chosen to adopt. Sets us free, forgives us completely, and forms us well. And so, therefore, we can say, Christians in this room, in Christ I am free. That is who I am. I am free. I'm free from slavery to sin. I'm free from slavery to my brokenness. So there's no sin, there's no habit, there's no addiction, there's nothing that has ultimate power over me because Christ has set me free. That is who I am in Christ. We can say, therefore, in Christ, I am forgiven. I've been completely forgiven. That means God has forgiven my rebellious heart and He has forgiven my rebellious actions. And furthermore, the Bible teaches us that God chooses to forget the offenses that we've committed against Him. We're forgiven so thoroughly that God has forgotten the offense. We can also say, in Christ, 
I am fully formed, right? You're not the the half-baked black sheep, okay? No such thing in the kingdom of God. It says with all wisdom and all understanding, God chose you in Christ and has fully formed you. You are a well-loved, fully blessed child of God. Christian, that is who you are. And so we've been asking the question each week, who am I? Who are you? And in our passage today, Paul does continue to reveal the incredible scope of the reality of who we are in Christ. Who am I is an important question. We talked a lot about it last week. If you haven't heard last week's uh, uh, message, I encourage you to go online and check that out. And also the week before, where Chad taught on adoption. Um, this is a series we're building on, on each, each one. So please make sure you're, you're listening and get yourself caught up because it's significant. Who you are is a significant question because who you are affects the way you think about yourself, which affects the way you think about other people, which affects the way you act about, toward other people. Who you are and who you think you are, what you think about yourself affects the way you think about God, and it affects the way you act toward God. It, it affects your heart. Who am I is an important question. And so who and what you think you are is a big deal because we all live out of a place of identity. We all live out of a place of how we see ourselves and how we understand ourselves. We we all live from that place. And our self-identity, it's not only important and significant for the reasons I just mentioned, but it's also very complex. Our identity is, is based on many different places and many different aspects of our life. We all self-identify as a lot of things in many different ways at any given time. And we form our identities around several different aspects of life, but there are three in particular. We, we, we form our identities on what we do, right? We self-identify as having meaning and purpose based on what we do. I'm a parent. I'm a grandparent. I'm a businessman. I'm a student. I'm a doctor. I'm a teacher. I'm retired. You know, that, that, that's a huge part of our identity, Another way that we all tend to identify ourselves is, is on what we desire. We identify according to what we think about or what we prefer in life, our, our preferences. I'm, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat or, or I'm gay or I'm an alcoholic. All these different preferences and the way we think about things, the things that drive us in, internally, we, we tend, our identity tends to rest on that as well. And the third way that we all kind of universally uh, tend to form a primary identity is on what we achieve. We self-identify according to what we can achieve or what we can possess. And so we, we think things like, I'm successful, or I'm a failure, and our identity is formed around that, or I'm organized, or I'm a creative person, or I'm upper class, or I'm middle class. All of these things may be true, and, and many of them might be true simultaneously, But all of these ways that we form our identity, and this is what's important, these are all lesser ways of answering the question, who am I? And so we've been studying verse by verse through this passage, these first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1, because we want to discover what is most true about us. And Paul systematically lays out the Christian identity as he exposes who we are in light of God's plan to save humanity and everything else through Jesus Christ. And so, as we've been studying Ephesians chapter 1, we've started to learn a better way to ask this question, who am I? The better question for us today is, in light of what Jesus has done for me, who does God say that I am? So, we're going to take another step, and and not just, we're going to build, assuming that God is maturing us, okay? So, not just, who was I a few weeks ago before the Holy Spirit started working in my heart, but we're going to take a step today. So, instead of asking, who am I? Today, the better question is, what does God say that I am? And when you wake up in the morning, and you start wrestling with your identity, and you start making your task list, I want to just, just tattoo this on the backside of your eyelids. Probably, you'd have to do that in reverse or whatever. I don't know how, don't do that, but you know what I mean. You wake up in the morning, and instead of asking, who am I? Don't ask, who am I? Unless you're specifically asking God. Ask, who does God say that I am? Who does God say that I am? What that will do is that will drive you to the Word of God first thing in the morning. The most important question you could ask each day, who does God say I am? That's how we discover what is most true about ourselves. 
And so why do we care what God says that I am? Well, because we were created by God. We were created for God. And we are dependent upon God. The Apostle Paul explains this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It says, Through Christ, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Okay? That includes you, okay, if you're not, if you're not following me. God created you. You are a creation. You are a creature created by God. Continuing, it says, He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see. It says, Everything was created through Him and everything was created for Him. He existed before anything else and He holds all creation together. And so when we're falling apart, which is a popular expression, who holds us together? Where do we go to be put back together? says Jesus holds all creation together. We only exist because of God's work through His Son, Jesus. And so this is just logic now. So we must look to God's work through Jesus if we want to know who we were created to be, right? You go back to the, the inventor if you want to understand the invention. We must look to God's work through Christ to understand who we are. Now our problem is we don't naturally do this. We tend to look at ourselves we tend to look at what we're capable of or what we prefer or what we've done in the past or our own strengths or our, our, our own preferences even. That's how we often, just by default, form our identities. Or we either look at ourselves or we look at others. What do other people think of me? How can I change what other people think of me? That's, that's the most important thing when it comes to forming my identity is what's my reputation? What are others saying about me? But for us to truly understand the question, who am I, we shouldn't look at ourselves and we shouldn't look to others. To answer this question, who am I, we need to stop looking inward at ourselves. We need to stop looking outward at other people and we need to start looking upward to God. We must form our identities on what God has done, not what we have done. We, we need to think about ourselves in terms of what God can do. What is my potential in life should have nothing to do with what I am capable of in my own strength. As a Christian, I now depend on the strength of God. I, I depend on, on, on what God's plans and purposes are. We have to stop forming our identities around what others think and start to form our identity on what God, our Father, thinks. We must stop worrying about what others desire from us and start dwelling on what God has done for us. That is the basis of our identity. Because when we ask God, who am I, here's what we discover. When you ask God, who am I, and you turn to Scripture, this is what you're going to discover. We discover that God loves us. We discover that God chooses us. You're not rejected. You're chosen by God. We discover that God redeems us, that God forgives us, we discover that God adopts us, that God fully blesses us in Christ. We discover that we are God's kingdom kids. We're children of the King. That's what you will discover when you start asking, what does God think of me? Who does God say that I am? And so the challenge of our life as Christians is to live from this place of identity as God's child. You get that? That's the challenge for us as Christians, is to live from this new identity we're given in Christ rather than living to our default identity. And it takes practice. It takes work. It's a process to start living from a place of being fully loved by God. Why? Because we're not fully loved by anyone other than God. No one fully loves us through and through, knows all of our faults and all of our failures, and loves us despite how good, how bad, how rebellious, how dirty, whatever. Only God loves us that way. And so it's a challenge for us to form our identity and walk out our life based on the fact that I'm fully loved because it's new. It's a process for us to start to live from a place of full approval. There's no need to prove yourself anymore. It's a process to start living from a place of full acceptance. I am fully accepted in Christ. It's a process for us to start to live from a place of full grace. 
That we would never earn the approval of God. You would never earn the love of God. That's hard for us. It's hard for our pride to, to handle that. We want to feel like we've earned something, right? Gosh darn it, I went to school for a lot of years. I've earned my place and my position. I've earned this career. I've earned this savings account. With God, you haven't earned anything that's of any value. God has given you everything that's of value. And so it's, it's difficult. It's a process for us to start to live from that place of having been graced by the grace of God. This is the process of the Christian life, to be who God has made you to be, to be settled in your identity, not to be the best version of yourself, not to be the best you can be, not to be the best anything. Listen, the Apostle Paul had it all. He, he was very successful, very well educated. He had climbed whatever ladders there were in the religious elite system of being a Pharisee um, in Israel and was a leader of leaders. And not only was he a leader of leaders, he was zealous. He was making a name for himself. He was well known. Paul says, after having had it all, power, possessions, just real authority, a place, a title, he said that his best efforts, literally the word that he uses, is my best efforts were garbage compared to who he was in Christ. Compared to the free gifts that God has lavished upon him. The things that he achieved for himself were garbage. And here's the deal, Christian. God created you to be his child. And apart from this identity as a child of God, nothing you do in life is going to matter. Apart from your identity as a child of God, nothing that you do, nothing that you strive for, nothing that you achieve is going to matter. Remember, the foundation of identity is that we're made by God, we're made for God, and we were made to be with God. All other identities are nothing if that foundation's not in place. And so, in light of this, every one of us needs to hear this today. What is most true about you Okay, what is most true about you is that you are loved by God. That is the truest thing about you. You are the beloved of God. Your identity is beloved. It's beloved. That's what God thinks. That's what God sees. That's God's pleasure and his heart. That's his plan. That's his purpose. That is his pleasure is to call you beloved in Christ. That's what gets God going. That's what he's all about. And so when we approach God based on our best efforts, when we approach God in a low place because of things we've done, or when we start approaching other, th- other people and pointing out and bringing them to a low place because of the things they've done, listen, we're betraying the heart of God and the work of the gospel. God chose you before the foundations of the earth. It has nothing to do with what you've done. And God's chosen that sinner that you're quick to point out their faults before the foundations of the earth as well. So Paul has really given us a sound answer to life's big question. Who am I, right? Who am I has been settled for us in Christ, Paul would argue. Now Paul turns his attention to life's second big question, which is what he addresses in our passage today. Okay, yes, world's longest introduction to a sermon right there. Life's second big question is, why am I here? Who am I settled in Christ? Why am I here? We all ask, why am I here? Because we want to know what the meaning of life is. We want to find our purpose in life. What am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be accomplishing? Um, How am I to be contributing to this this thing that's happening? All these people and all of these, these conflicting ideas and ideals. Our challenge is... When we approach this question of why am I here, often we tend to view ourselves as the most important factor when we ask that question, why am I here? We ask why am I here from the perspective of I need to feel fulfilled or I need to feel purposeful or I need to feel accepted. And Paul addresses this, this tendency and this perspective in our text today. Let's look at it again. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. He says that he made known to us the mystery of his will... He's talking about the Father. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He purposed in Christ 
as a plan for the right time to bring everything together. Everything together, he says, in Christ. Both things in heaven and things on earth is what he's saying. Everything is going to be brought together in Christ. The great unification, the great correction, the great realignment and repurposing of all creation, both heavens and earth, in case you're missing it, yes, you and the people around you, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the mystery that has been revealed to us in Christ. That's the gospel, right? That we're able to see that and know that and embrace that. That we're able to identify ourselves in that is the mystery here. As God's creation, we're not only dependent on God, we are subordinate to God. This is very important for us in our culture with our cultural ears that have been tuned by culture and American individualism, this radical sense of individualism. We need to hear that we are subordinate to God. God didn't create us to be superior to Him. That would be absolutely absurd. Yet that is what our culture teaches. God's creation will always be subordinate to God. And when we elevate ourselves or when we elevate other people or when we elevate any creation that's done by humans above God, the Bible calls that idolatry. And God radically opposes idolatry. And so the Apostle Paul in our text, what he's saying is God's plans are great. And yeah, they do benefit us tremendously. But listen, they're not all about you. God's plans are not all about you. Yes, he has, past tense, done wonderful things for us in Christ. Yes, he has wonderful things in store for us in Christ, both past and future. We're we're in a good spot. Furthermore, yes, God desires wonderful things for us now in Christ. Jesus said, it's better that I go. Then I can send the helper. We have the presence of God in our daily lives by the power of the Spirit. But even though God has completed things and has purposed things and has now even planned in the, in the moments of our life good things for us, as amazing as these things are for us, God's plans, God's pleasure, and God's purpose is not primarily about us. Paul says it is a plan regarding Jesus. He says it is a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. Now, remember the passage I read just a moment ago in Colossians chapter 1. All things are created for him and by him. That Jesus is like the mouthpiece of creation, the Bible teaches. And so we exist for God's pleasure and for God's glory. We do not exist for our own pleasure, and we do not exist for our own glory. God's plans, God's pleasures, God's purposes do not revolve around us, but they revolve around Jesus. All about Jesus. Now, I realize I'm drawing this out, but listen, this is, this is what was missing in my life for so long, and this is what I see missing in, in people who've known Jesus and are, are, are struggling with their identity as a Christian, a 20-year Christian, struggling with the basic idea of applying the gospel to their identity. Because sometimes we forget that God's plans are about God. God's plans are about God's pleasures, and they're not primarily about us. And our failure to live from this identity in Christ, it leads us, just like the rest of our culture, just like the rest of the world, it leads us to live for our own pleasure. And it leads us to live for our own glory. And look, that never works out. It never works out when we live for our own pleasure and we live for our own glory. Because we were made for God's plans, we were made for God's pleasures, and we were made for God's purposes. We were not made for our own plans. We were not made for our own pleasures. We were not made for our own purposes. We were not made for ourselves. I know that flies in the face of this radical individualism that that our our culture is, is pushing on us, but we were created for God, and therefore we only experience fulfillment when we live our life with God and for God. We are dependent upon God for our identity, as we've been seeing these last few weeks. But we are also dependent on God for our fulfillment. We're dependent upon God for our joy. This is why we're scouring this passage so thoroughly, verse by verse. Our goal here is to settle our identity issues once and for all by the grace of God. We want to stop forming our self-understanding according to what we do well or what we do bad. Just stop it, right? Right? 
That's basically what Paul's saying. Stop, in light of what Christ has done, why would, you, why would you base your identity on what you can do? You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Base your identity on that is what he's saying. Stop forming your identity on what you lack or, or what you want. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. What do you lack? Like, like what exactly do you lack? We want to function from a self-understanding as children of God. That's our goal as we study Ephesians here. Focusing on what God has done for us. Longing for more of what God has in store for us. Desiring what God desires for us. Kind of getting on the same page as God. And this causes us to live for God's glory, not for our own glory. Now, I can say, um, truthfully, that I, I really do no longer try to live for my own glory. I have to catch myself. I have to repent often. But at 46 years old, I'm now old enough to know that the only true thing apart from God, the only true thing about me, apart from God's grace in my life and what God has done for me in Christ, the only thing that's true of me apart from that is that I'm broken, I'm selfish, I'm rebellious, I'm desperate, and I'm selfish. If you see what I did there, in case you missed it the first time. And so, who here in this room, apart from Christ, wants to join me as I pursue my glory in life, knowing what you know about me? Who's in, right? Who's going to benefit from that pursuit of my glory? Where will this pursuit of my glory or or pursuit of my pleasure, where's that going to lead me? Where's that going to lead my family? Where's that going to lead my neighbors that, that I've been in relationship with now for 16 years? I'll tell you where it's going to lead them. I, I'm, I'm actually really experienced in this. I, I, I experience this in my life. It leads, it leads us all, not just me, but my wife and my children and my neighbors and anyone else that God has put in my life so that I could walk by the Spirit and point them to true hope. It leads us to despair, longing. It leads us to fear. It leads us to striving. It leads us to jealousy. It leads us to criticism. Man, if you know someone with a critical spirit, what they need is Jesus. When we live for ourselves, we're critical and we're divisive. Everything is us versus them. It leads us away from God. When we pursue our own pleasure, when we pursue our own glory, it leads us away from God. It leads us away from love. It leads us away from approval. It leads us away from acceptance. It leads us away from affirmation. It leads us away from peace. It leads us away from joy. And so we do everything in our power, which is the only thing in our power, is to sin. We do everything in our power to strive for peace and for joy and fulfillment, to strive for approval and acceptance and love. And we slip further and further and further down the slope because our identity is not based on what was laid for us before the foundations of the earth in Christ. There's nothing good in me apart from God. There's nothing good about my plans apart from God's plans. There's nothing good about my pursuits apart from God's pursuits. There's nothing good about my pleasure, my purposes, apart from God's pleasure and God's purposes. God has been teaching his chosen people this specific lesson for thousands of years now. This identity struggle is an ancient struggle. Listen, listen to this example of this in Deuteronomy chapter 9, okay? Thousands of years ago, God was dealing with this same issue with his people. I, I, I love this translation. This is the NLT version of this passage. It says, After the Lord your God has done this for you, don't say in your hearts, Well, the Lord has given us this land because we're such good people. No. It is because of the wickedness of the other nations that he's pushing them out of your way. It's not because you are so good or that you have integrity that you're about to occupy their land. The Lord your God will drive these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness and to fulfill the oath that he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You must recognize, here he he puts a real fine point on it here, I love it. You must recognize that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land because you are good, for you are not good, he says. You are a stubborn people. (laughs) I can testify that's true today, at least in my own life. I I, want to take credit for every good thing that comes my way, right? 
I just want to slap the, you know, my name tag on. That's mine right there. And God's like, no, it's not yours. It's a gift. You didn't deserve that or earn it. You're a stubborn person. What are you talking about? Only God's plan is good. Only we are not good. And neither are our plans. Our joy and our purpose and our blessings are all found in Christ. God's plan in Christ is for his glory. But listen, it's also, it's also for our good. Because we were unlovable. Before God's plan, we were unlovable and selfish. But in Christ, which is God's plan, we are fully loved. Apart from God's plan, we're lost. But in Christ, which is God's plan, we are adopted as children. We were slaves to sin. But in Christ, we are redeemed. Literally, that word means purchased out of slavery. That means that brokenness and sin and addiction... None of those things have any real power over us any longer in Christ. Our new new identities are free. That is who we are. We we were evil on our own, but in Christ we're forgiven. We were rebellious on our own. In Christ we're holy. We were hopeless and undeserving. We've been graced by God in Christ. We were rejected. We were condemned. But God's plan is good. In Christ, we are chosen. God's plan was to do all of this for us in Christ for His glory and for His pleasure. His glory, His pleasure benefit us tremendously. Christian, you were created for God's glory. You were created for God's pleasure. That is who you are. It's why you were created. It's how you are adequately sustained. So back to our question for today. Why am I here? Why am I here? It's an ancient answer to that question. We can say in Christ that I am here to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That was the answer to that question that was posed at the Westminster Larger Catechism as the first question of the catechism. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever is is the purpose of the Christian life. In other words, I exist to live out of this identity as beloved, as a child of God. I exist to please God, to to bring pleasure to God. And when we live our lives, first and foremost, from this identity, we start to process our decisions in life differently. We start to process and think about our actions differently because we process everything through the filter of, does this bring glory to God? Paul alludes to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He goes, whether you eat, whether you drink, he's not saying don't eat, he's not saying don't drink, he's like, whether you're going to eat, whether you're going to drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So yeah, it's going to affect the way we do stuff, right? That's that's the filter that we process our lives through. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Paul says, don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. A more perhaps familiar translation of that would be um, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God uh, by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own. He's like, that's mine. That's mine. See, see that, that has to form our identity. Matthew chapter 5 Verse 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. See, our identity, the way we think and the way we feel about ourselves, it directly affects how we live. It's not a behavior issue that your teenager has. It's an identity issue. You hear that? It's, it's not a behavior issue that your neighbors have. It's an identity issue that they have. They don't know who they are. They don't know why they exist. As God's own children, as God's kingdom kids, we live dependent upon God. We live desiring God's pleasure. We live determined to bring God glory. And living lives that are dependent on God, desiring God's pleasure, and determined to bring God glory, it's not a performance thing. It's not a life pleasing to God. It's, it's, it's not just about choosing the right behavior or following the rules or, or resisting bad things. It, it's, it's more complex than that. It's way more deeply rooted than just having the, the intellectual capacity to identify good and evil and choose good every single time. We exist 
to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We can only bring pleasure to God when we live from a place of being the beloved of God. It doesn't mean that you have to give up everything that you enjoy in life. God isn't trying to force you into a joyless life by having you forfeit all the things in life that you enjoy. God's purpose, God's plan, and God's pleasure is to glorify himself by satisfying your deepest longings and desires. And he does that in Christ. So God wants to settle your identity issues by making you brand new in Christ. Now, I know that kind of sounds lofty and theological. Let's break it down for a second because this is, this is so powerful. Our identity in Christ allows us to more fully enjoy life's pleasures. Why? Because we no longer pursue life's pleasures seeking fulfillment from them. We're filled up in Christ. Our identity issues are settled. We're not seeking pleasure in life to be fulfilled by them. But rather, we seek pleasure for the glory of God. And so as kingdom kids, as God's children, we can now enjoy things more because we need them less. Isn't, isn't that, that, that's like key. We can enjoy the pleasures of life more because we don't need them. We're settled in Christ. God wants us to enjoy His gifts Our main focus is no longer on what we do or what we want. We're now able to live with confidence in what we already have in Christ. We're settled as a people. It brings us joy. It brings us hope. It brings us confidence. Settled in Christ. James chapter 1 says, uh, verse 17, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. Everything's a gift. Everything's from God. Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul tells young Timothy, he's like, teach those who are wealthy or teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. It's unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. You see that? God's not like this, this killjoy. He's not trying to rob you of joy or fulfillment. God wants you to enjoy his gifts. And God is an awesome God, and He's an awesome giver of gifts. Listen, I I use that word, and at the same time, I'm going to confess that I hate the word awesome because the word awesome has come to mean mediocre or all right in our culture, right? People use the word, someone brings this crummy piece of art up to their parent, and their parent's like, oh, awesome, we're going to hang out on the fridge. No, your kid's art's not awesome, right? Mediocre at best. You might be proud of them, you know? Or or your kid brings you like a report card with a B, and you're like, awesome. That's not awesome. You might be happy that their grade is improving, but it doesn't strike awe in you, right? It's not like staring out at millions of stars at night. I'm redeeming the word right now. That's what that word means. God is awesome. He gives awesome gifts for us to enjoy. God has chosen us to be holy. That is awesome. God has made us holy. That's what, Only God is holy. And He's made us holy in Christ. And He wants us to be happy. What an awesome gift. That we'd be holy and happy. God has chosen us to be sanctified. That means that we would be set apart. That we would be able to choose in our life. We would have real power to not pursue broken, sinful lifestyles. We've been sanctified. What an awesome gift. That's who God is. Only God is sanctified and set apart from a sinful world. But in Christ, we're sanctified. And God wants us to be satisfied. What an incredible gift. God's plans, pleasures, and purposes all reveal him to be a generous giver. And yeah, God has given gifts for us to enjoy now. He's given us many gifts to enjoy now. But what's more incredible And this is what that vocabulary of adoption speaks to, is God has given us himself now, that we might enjoy him. Not just his gifts, but we would enjoy him. And as his children, we now delight in the giver of the gifts, not just the gifts. And we enjoy him as we enjoy his gifts. I I think of my my grandmothers, both both of my grandmas who are both with Jesus now. Thank you, Lord. Both of them, radical givers. Very specifically, very radical food givers, okay? 
they both lived in Nebraska. We would usually drive there, we'd fly there, or take a train there, whatever. And we, we get to Nebraska, and what do they do? They feed you the entire time you're there, right? There's like ham and fried chicken for dinner. And how do I best love my grandma, right? How, how am I best going to love someone that does that? Enjoy the gifts, right? You eat, and then you praise them, and you thank them for their thoughtfulness and their generosity, You enjoy the gift, and you praise the giver of the gift. We acknowledge and praise her. So how do we best love God, who's such a radical giver? We receive His gifts joyfully, enjoying His gifts, and we praise Him as a radical giver. Christian, we were created for God. You were created to have relationship with the living God. It means that your life is joyless apart from God. Your blessings are fruitless apart from God that your relationships are hard, drudgery, work, and burdensome apart from God. Our hearts are unsettled and joyless apart from God. The converse is true as well. God finds joy in you. After all, our verse today says that God saved you for his own good pleasure. Listen, God the Father enjoys you in Christ. It pleases God It brings him pleasure for you to enjoy Jesus, to find your identity, and just like geek out on the fact that you are fully loved and fully accepted despite what those negative, critical voices here on earth around you say. They don't matter. Those voices do not matter in terms of who you are. Who you are was settled before the foundations of the earth. And so we enjoy Jesus, and we just allow pleasure and and love and praise to well up within us. God enjoys you. We live our lives enjoying Jesus. How do we enjoy Jesus? You're like, Billy, give me some practical ways. How am I supposed to enjoy Jesus? I love this passage. This passage is more than 3,000 years old practical advice. Listen to this. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24. There's nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand, because who can eat, who can enjoy life apart from him? (laughs) What he's saying is God has spoken everything, all of creation into existence through Christ. So everything really is all about Jesus. You're enjoying that whatever morsel that you love to eat and, and so much. God created that. that that's, a, that's from God. That gift that you have, that you enjoy so much, or that hobby that you have that you're good at, that you're passionate about, enjoy that and praise God for that. It, it is a gift from God that we joyfully receive, and we exalt the giver of good gifts in return. As we discover and form our identity in Christ, as we begin to really live from this place as being a child of God, as being a kingdom kid, we really do start focusing everything in our life on Jesus. It is all about Jesus because Jesus reveals God's plans for us. Jesus invites us into the Father's pleasures. Jesus enables us to engage in the Father's pursuits. Everything about God is revealed to us through Jesus' loving work freeing us from slavery, forgiving us, fully forming us as kingdom kids, all things that God did through his son Jesus. It really is all about Jesus. God has revealed the great mystery to us in Christ. God created everything, and he created everything, and he was pleased with it. It was good, right? But then humanity rebels against God's perfect plan for us, God also didn't just create everything by Jesus. He created everything for Jesus, And so part of his plan is that Jesus one day is going to go in and reclaim what was created for him, for the glory of God. That God will one day bring everything in heaven and on earth under the authority of Jesus Christ. We know that that's God's plan, just like it was his good plan to save us in Christ. And because God has revealed his plans to us, because he's revealed his pleasures to us, because he's revealed his purpose to us, we know what's coming. And so we're able to live our lives now with confidence We don't live our lives overwhelmed with the present state of the world. We don't have to jump up and down and turn red. Well, can you believe what the the radical left or the radical right or the whatever? Like, who? Come on, you've read the end of the book. Why are you getting all hopped up over what's happening in the world around you? You know what's happening. It's like amnesia. Have you forgotten who you are? Are you have you forgotten who's in control? (laughs) Have you forgotten who appointed that that person in power that you hate so much? 
It was the hand of God. You might think it was the democratic process. That's not what the Bible says. Your vote might count here, sure, but God's going to put in power who God puts in power. Right? It really is all about Jesus. You you see how the, the way we form our identity is significant and powerful because it affects the way we engage in culture. It affects the way we separate ourselves from other people. It affects the the little battle lines that we draw in our life. Well, I can't talk to them. They're this way. They've chosen that lifestyle. They they embrace that political ideology. Listen, you know the end of the game. The only thing that matters is whether you stand with the Father in Christ. God's revealed His plans to us, and so we trust Him. We trust God. We live lives as people with hope. Beacons of hope in this world. We know the end game. We don't live all desperate. Oh, can you believe what happened today? Can you believe? Yes, I, I can believe it, okay? Just stop asking me if I, I, I believe it. <laughs> gotcha. It's all about Jesus, though. We have true hope in God's plans for the future. Our identities are in Christ. So we now no longer live according to, God, to our own plans. We live according to God's plans pleasures and purposes. And in Christ, we live to bring everything in life under the authority of Christ. That is the goal of our life. We now bring everything under the authority of Christ. That means that we bring our marriage under the authority of Christ. If your marriage is not under the authority of Christ, and you feel like you're operating in some calling outside of that, listen, you're gravely mistaken. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by, by portraying some lame, broken, false representation of the gospel in, in a damaged, broken marriage, by going out and doing some other thing that you think is greater. Submit your marriage to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It really is all about Jesus. That is the most important thing, is the gospel. And we live out the gospel in the context of marriage, if you're, if you're married. If you're not married, praise God. It might be better for you not to, Apostle Paul would say. We bring our marriages under the authority of Christ. We bring our recreation under the authority of Christ. We bring our businesses under the authority of Christ. Our finances, our tax preparation, the way we pay our employees, the, uh, how on time we are with our, our commitments in business, all of those things under the authority of Christ. We bring our sexuality under the authority of Christ. We bring our drinking, our, our, the, just the, the pleasures of the flesh, all under the authority of Christ. We do this in our hearts. We do this in our lives personally, and then in our families first. Why? Because then we bring it out into the world. We allow God to affect us and change us, and then we invite our family into that, and then we invite our neighbors into that, and we see the world affected by a community of Christians that have been changed and have formed new identities and are around other people, and it's this ever-expanding thing that God is He's reaching and changing and affecting identities in Christ. We don't pacify our true needs by pursuing temporary pleasures. That's a distraction. We don't waste our life trying to improve ourselves by working harder in our own strength. That's a waste of time. We don't sideline ourselves by arguing over issues within the church, right? Just stop that, okay? We don't betray Christ's image by criticizing other people or criticizing other church movements or criticizing other governments or other political beliefs. Don't allow a critical spirit to take root in you. We don't waste our life debating politics or theology or pondering things that are going to keep us indoors. Listen, we enjoy Jesus and we follow Jesus. And Jesus is moving out there. That's why we're offering perspectives. God is doing something right now in the world. And when we stay in our own little safe first world culture and it's all about just who's right, who's I'm right. No, you're I'm right, right? Like who cares who's right? It's all about Jesus. Go outside and follow Jesus. It's not been that long since we wrapped up the Matthew series. We landed on this passage in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus is speaking to his disciples who have obeyed him and have gathered at this hilltop. But he's not only speaking to the disciples as he did in in, in previous occasions, he's also speaking to the church. Uh, This is one of those messages that's going to the disciples and then through them, through the faith of anyone who's going to walk and trust in Jesus um, following their ministries, which includes us as the modern-day church. Jesus declares, I've been given all authority 
in heaven and on earth. Therefore, okay, here's the point of life. Go make disciples of all the nations. Go make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, and here's the promise. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why do you exist? There's your commissioning. Who are you? Why do you exist? See, knowing who we are explains why we exist. Knowing who we are defines what we do with our lives. And knowing who we are in Christ, it means that we know God's plans and we discover plans for our life as we enjoy Jesus. Our lives are marked with joy as we follow Jesus. The joy of the Lord is our strength, not the ability to win an argument. Not the ability to pull out a a bigger knowledge weapon. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So we know God's plans, and we discover our plans as we enjoy Jesus. We know God's pleasures, and we find true pleasure as we enjoy Jesus. We know God's purpose. God's revealed that to us. And so we can find our true purpose as we enjoy Jesus. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up, and we're going we're gonna to spend some time responding today. And the challenge today is to come and know Jesus. Maybe you've been searching for meaning and purpose in what you do in life. Or maybe you've been trying to find yourself in what you have or what you're lacking, or, or you're, you're really longing for that one thing or, or that, that move, that next rung on the ladder, moving on up. Or maybe you've been trying to satisfy your longings with what you desire for yourself in life or your reputation. Your true identity, who you really are, is hidden in Christ. The challenge today as we worship God is to discover that. Discover Jesus. Your true plans, your true pleasure, your true purpose in life is hidden in Christ. So I challenge you to pursue them today. Come to the Lord Invite God. Invite God into those places of longing. Invite God into those places of lesser identity. Invite God into those places where you feel so strongly that you've identified in Him and say, God, I want to identify myself in Christ alone. Amen? Father, we thank You for this passage, and we thank You, God, for Your Word. And we pray now, God, that as the Word has gone out, we pray for Your Holy Spirit now to, to move that Word into our hearts and to apply your word into our lives, that you would affect real change in us as we respond to real truth. We pray for your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven, God, that we would walk as kingdom kids. We offer ourselves to you for that purpose now. In Jesus' name, amen.